I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello there. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. This is the podcast that looks at the stats, the performance, and the XG of Celtic Football Club. We're streaming live across YouTube and Twitch, so if you're watching, do leave a comment below. Get involved in the conversation tonight. There's lots to get involved with, or there's lots to talk about, rather, over the course of this podcast. We're looking back at the defeat to Rangers in the first game, the first derby game of the season. And we're going to be looking at a little bit about the uh, the squad and how it's looking now that we have a fully fledged squad. We know what transfers have come in. We know what players have left. So we're going to be looking at that, but we're going to be focusing mainly on the game from the weekend. Alan Morrison, Celtic by Numbers, is with me as always. Alan, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Enda. And Jico James as well. How are you? Good. As I mentioned to you guys, uh, broadcasting in the midst of a hurricane. So if you hear um, any loud noises or the power goes off and I disappear, then you'll know what happened. Cool. We actually we had a couple of storms in Ireland uh, last year that were vaguely similar to what the States get. And they were fun because we just went to the pub and everyone got the, the days off work. But that was, uh, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was different times when nobody was working from home. Anyway, Rangers won Celtic nil. That's what we're talking about. I, I, was, I was so positive going into the game. And then a 1-0 defeat and a dreary enough game. Can I start with a bit of a debate here before we get into the nitty-gritty of the game? The Hollander goal. Hollander got the one goal of the game, comes from a corner, free uh, free header at the back post, essentially. And there was a, a bit of an online debate between Boys Analytics, between GigPod, between a couple of people online. Should Hollander have been marked at the back post or should Hart have come and punched that ball? So that's where I want to kick this uh, podcast off tonight. I think that Hollander should not have been free at the back post, personally. Um, I don't think Hart is getting to the ball. I think it's too high up in the air. But I'm curious to get your thoughts. So, Alan, do you want to kick us off here? Yeah, I mean, on that point, I, I would agree with you. And uh, Hart's not going through all that traffic to such a high ball. That's massive risk. Um, you know, something's gone awry in terms of marking. Uh, and Hollander's got a relatively free uh, run. Um, it, and actually, that was the only effort they had on goal from a set play throughout the whole game. So, you know, all this you know, the predictable gnashing, wheeling of teeth, and, oh, Celtic conceded another goal from a set piece. Yes, they did. Um, you know, I, I, I will do something during the break, actually, around difference in set piece performance, defensive-wise and attacking-wise, 
because I think there's a lot of interest. I'm sorry, I'm broadening the point out here <laughs> uh, in both of those compared to where we were last season, both in terms of how we set up defensively and how we set up in an attacking sense. It's quite different, actually. And, and, and I th- believe we'll see an improvement in performance, but I haven't studied the numbers yet, but it's something I will do over the over the break. But long story short, answer to that question, yeah, I think there's been a mix-up somewhere, but I think between Rolston and Welsh and Hollander's not been picked up. James, do you want to jump in on that? 100% agreement. The only thing I can add is uh, I did rewatch the game last night for the first time, and um, it, it appeared to me that on the preceding corners, Welsh was marking Hollander. Okay. So um, they did something to shake that loose. And, um, you know, again, mistakes happen. That That's um, so it was a mistake and happened to be a good delivery from a guy who's pretty good at delivering those balls. And Hollander's a decent guy in the air, big guy. And, you know, he didn't head it right at part, uh, heart. So, mm. um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 the funny thing, tongue-in-cheek, I say, you know, not ha-ha funny, but more tongue-in-cheek, is um, in my mind, it wasn't terribly dissimilar to the goal that uh, we conceded in the 2-0 to, to Goldson last year in the COVID game. And, uh, you know, Barkas got absolutely hammered by a lot of people in that, which I think Alan and I discussed subsequent to that once we started the show, that we didn't think that that was – you know, people were calling them jelly wrists and all these other things. <laughs> um, that I don't think that was Barkas's fault. And this wasn't Hart's, even though he didn't come for the ball. I agree with Alan's assessment. That mm. probably would have been a bad decision. And, you know, it was it was a good header. Hart got a hand on it. But, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't think he should have saved it. It would have yeah. been a miraculous save had he made it. Um, so, you know, yeah. I think it probably probably was a mistake in, in not marking him. And uh, in marking Hellander, and to their credit, I mean they they ran interference for him. You know what I mean? I mean that that looked like it was a, a it was a play of sorts um, to create that cluster of of crowd in front of him. So yeah, it's um it's a very basic corner, really. When you look yeah. at it from a, a cold perspective, that's what a lot of teams do. They they bunch their guys in and into the middle, and then they create diversions. One one forward gets. Uh, in between two defenders, blocks off the man that's supposed to be marking the guy who the, the corner's going to, and it, it's a goal. So it was a well, fairly we, basic we, set piece. It was nothing fancy, but um, it we'll, was effective. We'll rev- probably revisit this as we talk about the squad then. But, um, you know, when you don't have a lot of size in your team, that, that does impact your strategy as far as whether you're going man, zonal, or some combination. Um, so... You know, that's something that we're going to have to probably just live with as we go forward relative to particularly domestically. I mean, we're going to be undersized mm. um, probably a good bit against a lot of teams, not not necessarily lower athleticism overall. You know, a guy like Kyogo's not tall, but he can jump. Um, but, you know, we talked about this before. That's when you get into the difference between a, a running jump like Hollander had and a guy who's got a fistful of shirt and jumping off of two feet like Starfelt tried to do to cover up for an unmarked guy. You know, he's just not going to, and he's a couple inches shorter. So, you know, all of these little fine margins add up at times. Um, so yeah, we, 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 we might be better coached and up better 
strategically on these, but we're not going to grow. Uh, I don't think any of our, maybe about a, a couple of guys are young enough that they could, you know, uh, grow a couple inches still, but for the most part, our guys are, are probably done growing. So yeah. take them up the highlands, uh, feed them a, a wreck of spuds over the next couple of months, maybe a couple of them will take a little bit of a sprouting, but yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think, um, I think, the only benefit for Hart coming for that ball, and I said this loosely on the Monday agenda, is that it might cause just enough chaos to put Holander off. But the the cost of that, if he doesn't do that, is a goal anyway. So the you know the cost risk benefit of of doing that, I, I just don't think it added up. So I, you know it was a goal. I think it was a disappointing goal to concede. But the game itself, we want to get into that. This this was just a carbon copy of the last four derby games wasn't it a little bit probably a better performance as Celtic have put in over the course of those four games but ultimately it was a situation where Celtic match Rangers they were as good as them throughout the game they didn't take a couple of key chances and then they concede I, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll let Alan go first but you, I, I, I think you have to exclude the four-one where they they spanked us. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. yeah. That's but that's fair enough. That's fair. Enough. Yeah. Other than that, yeah. I, mean, I go ahead, Alan. I mean, I think generally that's. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Celtic, given the context of where the team is and its development, you know, can't be devastated by that. I think I think we're all frustrated because I mean, watch the game, and it and it was a, just a really really tight game. Um, you know, to actually lose it did feel, didn't feel quite right. Uh, I know, you know Celtic obviously dominated possession for what that's worth. BXG, I had it at 1.04 to 0.99. There was really nothing in it. Um, you know, the Rangers had significantly more shots, 14, but nine of them were outside the box. And actually, Hart only made three saves, the balls that he could just literally have flopped on. Um, they created zero ch- zero chances, where Celtic had three three big chances. There was Edward's chance. Um, Furuhashi's chance in the second half. McCrory makes a great save. He's out really quickly to close him down. It's a tremendous save. Yeah, an then, excellent and, game. Yeah, and then the one, the one after that where Furuhashi squared the ball when, when uh, that you know that that's not reflected in the XG, but that that was a great moment for Celtic. So the three great moments. You're really looking for them to take one of those. If they do get a lead in the game, it's a very different game. Uh, so I think you know a draw really would have been a fair result. It was interesting how both teams played. Um, in some respects, you know, what I said before I really didn't know what was going to happen. I thought it was going to be a little bit chaotic. I think Celt- I thought Celtic would introduce variants into the game which they would not be used to. But actually, um, you know, I would say Rangers would be pleased that they ha- they were able to play the game on their own terms a lot of the time. You know, I- and actually they looked like a team as they often do, uh, who are playing away in Europe in the 1970s are quite happy to walk away with a nil-nil. It's a very solid, compact, low-risk football. Um, There was a tremendous amount of packing going on in the game. I mean, huge amount. But but generally, it it wasn't the defenders that were, were were being packed. Celtic's defenders did push on quite a bit. Balogun and Barisic, not so much. They were very conservative, mainly held their shape. Uh, because they had three guys up front who were narrow, and I think the ploy was to get let them let them rotate, let them play, and um, whilst keeping a very very tight shape in between and not get caught in transition, and that worked out really well for them because Celtic didn't really create anything on transition. Um, so I think you know again they were they, 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 as I say they were able to play uh, a lot on their terms. Celtic had more possessions in the box, fifteen 
to 11. Out, they outdid the sort of packing side of it. Each keeper made three saves. Um, really, yeah, it, it, should, it probably should have been a draw. It would have been a fair result, I would say. James, your general thoughts on the, uh, the game itself? I actually think uh, Alan's point there on Rangers controlling the game to a degree, meaning that uh, is my main takeaway, meaning that, um, you know, that that was not an Ange ball game, so to speak. Right. I mean, we basically ran into a strategy and a tactic that um, we, we ended up playing the vast majority of that game on their terms. And, uh, I shared some heat maps and stuff in my my post game thread on that. I mean, we we've had very little central possession. Uh, one of the main times it happened led to the big um, chance when Abata played through to Kyogo, and then he put that great crossover. Um, so that that's been you know dating back to uh, the the first two derbies under Rogers. Um, prior to him leaving when Gerard first took over. Um, you know, the first one, we pretty much spanked them. That was the 1-0, I think, and Cham scored. And we we could dominate, even though it was only a 1-0, we pretty much dominated that. But that was before they had the reinforcements. That's before they got Davis. Like, you know, so th- that was early Gerard tenure. And um, the second one around the holidays, you know, I think they ended up beating beating us and, and um ever since that game with a couple of exceptions you know they want to man down one game you know that kind of thing uh we we have not with a single striker system whether it was a 4-2-3-1 which is what we've played mostly against them or you know kind of the hybrid with the 4-3-3 depending on uh we just have not been able to get the ball centrally and you know, whether it's like I, I joked, rinse and repeat, whether it's been Edward and Forrest on the at striker and to the right. Uh, this week it was Edward and Nabata. You know, they've just done a really good job of that narrow system and isolating those two players. And we end up going way left, heavy left. Uh, I mean, Juranovic had by far the most passes and touches in this game as our our uh, debutante and right back playing at left back, <laughs> um, you know, which probably is an ideal in the grand scheme of things that you want him in his debut game being the one on the ball the most. So, you know, when I kind of bundle that all together, I would say they got more out of the game as far as game flow and how it unfolded. Uh, and, you know, they played conservative, they played defensive, and they nicked a set piece, which is exactly, mm-hmm. you know, look at the formula, how they've done well in Europe against teams like Porto and Benfica. I mean, that that's one of the things I've talked about in the past is that their, their strategy and style of play isn't really optimized for domestic competition. It's more optimized against better opposition in Europe, and they kind of try to get by domestically, breaking down, and they've had mixed success at that at times, breaking down kind of low-block teams. Um, and that's my, my continued concern is – you know, quote unquote, Ange ball, we're going to destroy a lot of domestic competition. Um, but how's that going to scale relative to better European competition? They're going to come at us mm-hmm. um, and, and not sit in a low block, that kind of thing. We'll, we'll find that out in a couple of weeks here with uh, Bettis and, and, and Leverkusen. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one that the European comparison, because <laughs> 
last night, Real Betis announced the signing of Hector Bellerin from Arsenal. And it just goes to show you the step up in levels where we sold Arsenal our best fullback and they have just bought Arsenal's fullback. So that's that that's a stage where I know Bayern wasn't starting for Arsenal for a while, but that was largely down to his injuries. That shows you the, the levels of competition we're going to be coming up against. I just thought that was an interesting point, a little bit of a sidetrack. But I guess I, I actually watched this game cold like some of you guys do. I had my own game. I, I couldn't watch it live. And it, it is interesting what you pick up when you're not caught up in the, in the emotion of it. And Ange, I mean, Ange Post uh, pointed this out after the game, and it's one thing that was blindly obvious, is that the forward line did, setup didn't work. He um, he got it wrong. He admitted that. What what impact, Alan, did this have on the game? What impact did that, did putting Eduardo in the left and Kyogo have? Yeah, so I think well, I think Edward started through the center and sorry, center. Sorry, I got yeah. that mixed up. So, so, so listen, you know, I don't, and again, I'm not going to get into this kind of characterization of Edward that, that, that is, that is a, the lazy characterization of Edward, which is a lazy characterization. Um, but, but this is a guy who clearly knows he's playing his last game, right? Um, and, and although you know he was constrained, I mean, if you look at his numbers, I mean, seven challenges lost, none won. Um, you're talking about somebody who's completed seven passes in the whole game. Um, he didn't, who, 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 you know, he he didn't create a single chance in the whole game. He didn't uh, make a single meaningful forward progressive pass in the whole game. He didn't take anyone on, beat a man in the whole game. He had one that one big chance that came off his heel, which is a really a concentration thing. His packing receiving stats were very low; only three passes received. Compare then contrast that with Furuhashi's twenty-four, um, and even even Abada's uh, twelve. <laughs> um, you know, he, he was he, you know he, he was virtually I hate to say it, but virtually invisible in the game. So so we, there was nothing that was being offered on that side. Um, Furuhashi, I thought, had an had an extraordinary game when you added it all up. Um, you know, he had by far the highest overall packing score, nearly two hundred. He had the highest expected scoring contribution at nearly one. He had the, my, my cat score, which is overall attacking threat. He had a score of 12. The next highest was four. Um, he, he just, you know, he found space. He, he got on the ball. And it was a bit, it, what was really strange was that simultaneously, Juranovic and Furuhashi on the left, Celtic left had tremendous games and were progressing the ball really effectively. And Balogun at right back had a great game as well. So they all had really good games all at the same time. But the net result, and the net result was we did, you know, Furuhashi, Either created or got or got um, on the end of the best chances that Celtic created, and again they they take one of those. It's a very different game. So so Edward, you know, was was unfortunately compl- almost completely marginalised to the point of, 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 of you know you barely knew he was on the field. Furuhashi um, was was exceptional and, and found a way to influence the game both from an attacking left perspective and from. Um, uh, you know, uh, when he moved to centre forward, then suddenly, you know, he was able to get between the centre backs quite easily, actually, and was outpacing, you know, Hellander and Goldson uh, with ease. Um, yeah, I actually speculated before the game that um, Rangers may have lucked into McCrory starting over McGregor. Um, and it actually turned out that way, I think, because I don't think Alan McGregor gets to a couple of those balls the way McCrory did on those through balls to uh and there was one earlier in the game that edward was close to getting onto 
that McCrory, I mean, McCrory really, I mean, it, it, again, that's a, that's a good, an example of um, kind of traditional keeper stats aren't going to um, yeah. gauge that. Yeah. Uh, but the, those, you know, him coming out to, um, and, and he forced that, um, the second Kyogo decision, you know, he created that pressure now, it may have ended up being the wrong decision or not. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty angled. Both of those chances were fairly angled for Kyogo. I mean, he was not um, dead center. He was kind of off off to the, the six-yard box. Sorry, James. He had, yep. For the second chance, he had more time. If yep. he'd actually taken the shot decision, the, the likelihood was that he would have been able to, you know, whereas with the first one, McCurry was so quick and so right. on top of him. But that second one was actually a better chance because of the time. Yeah, that's like a fraction of a second more. Yeah, but I, but my my point was more so the the second one was he had the time, but I think um, on in the multiple XG models I looked at, I think it was like a sub point one um, pre shot XG just because of the angle. Um, so you know it's it's hard to beat a keeper from from that severe of an angle. Um, so yeah, I I actually think uh, I, I think we might have scored a couple of goals there if uh, McGregor's playing. Um, I, I don't, or, you know, as we've seen, you know, he, he, he had more of the uh, Gordonitis at times in his career where he comes out and Kung Fu's people like Greg, Craig Gordon has in the past, um, you know, where you get a red card or, you know, penalty or something like that. Well, you don't. Or you don't, right. right, right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I think um, um, that, that was an interesting aspect of the game that, you know, it, it, the, the other part, I, and I wrote about this was, because of the the issues that we've had with Edward as a sole striker, and Alan and I have talked about this. I mean, I think it was the first piece I wrote for Alan's site back in early 20, uh, was it 19? I don't even know what year it is anymore. Um, was about whether or not Edward was better suited as a second striker, you know, and, and there was all this talk, you know, Gordon Strachan at one point saying he's not a nine, he's a 10. And, um, and, and, you know, when you look at his performance levels at Celtic, when he's had a strike partner that's actually a striker, that was always been my criticism. They kept putting Elunissi with him in a two-striker system, which made no sense. Um, but when he's been paired with a guy who stays around the box, which is, I think, what the recruitment of a jetty was supposed to be um, to replace Griffiths, is he's been exceptional. And I think to go into this game with the game plan as – regardless of whether he's leaving or not. I mean, I, I think there was just a structural question as to why that was the plan above and beyond, um, you know, the, the clear issues that we saw as far as potential effort issues, or maybe his mind being drifting a little bit for, for obvious reasons. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think we'll see that mistake again. The, the only thing I'll, as far as Kyogo not playing through the middle. Um, the other thing that I found interesting was um his Kyogo's dribbling stats in Japan was kind of high volume, but not great efficiency, meaning that he, he's not giving an example. Um, you know, uh, James Forrest has won like two thirds of his dribbles pretty consistently uh, through his, his last five, six seasons um, in, in Scotland. And I think Kyogo was more of like a 50, 50, in, in okay. Japan. And I, I, I think we saw some of that. I mean, it's obviously just the game, but you know, Balogun's not the nifty, niftiest guy. I mean, he had a great game, but you know, he's a center back playing at right back. Um, and is, he handled 
Kyogo pretty reasonably well there. Um, and, and I think that's another thing. I mean, I, I don't think Kyogo is a guy who we might be getting now with Jota. That jo, that's Jota's reputation. He, you know, we've seen that with Abada. Abada's got the athleticism, but maybe not the, the ball control on the ball. His, he had kind of the same issue in Israel, which is high volume, but maybe a 50-50 as far as winning those kind of things. And I think we saw some of that from Kyogo on, on Sunday. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'd be shocked if we don't see him, even with, um, uh, the new striker coming in, I, I think mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see Kyogo through the middle. What's, what's considered a successful dribble dribble. For, yeah. I mean, it, is that it, like taking, you get past them and play a pass. Yeah, you, be, you, 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 you beat you them, beat the guy? you beat the man and keep possession. Okay. I mean, that's yeah. the, basically there's the two, thing. There's two, yeah. two, 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 two different, slightly different flavors uh, that I capture, uh, Ender. So the packing aspect is if, of it is if you dribble past somebody. So you take the ball, you run past somebody, they're now behind you. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if you keep control of the ball and then can perform your next action, then I, I say you've you've completely you've completed that pack dribble. The second aspect is what's called a progressive run, which is essentially about gaining yardage. So you've run with the ball, and I think it's the, the common the common definition for this is really kind of 10, 10 meters or ten yards. Um, if you can, if you can in the opposition half, anyone can anyone can take the ball from the edge of their own box up to halfway. But yeah. you know against opposition, so if you can against opposition in the opposition half, move the ball forward at least ten yards on a run. That's a progressive run. So add the progressive runs and the pack dribbles to get together. You get your ball progress. You get your running ball progressions. Okay. One of them takes one of them takes players out of the game. The other one only gains yardage or gains yardage. Okay. Mm. Yeah. okay. Yeah. I guess the reason I ask is that Kyogo is quite small, not the not the strongest. So if you get tied to him, you'll probably win the ball, or you're probably preventing him from from. He yeah. He didn't. He, he didn't. He 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 had five progressive runs, meaning he ran with the ball into space. He did, I don't know if he had to, he even attempted to take um, a player on. What I noticed a lot with him is if he get if he if he receives the ball. And, and someone's you know fronting him up and he doesn't think he's going to beat this person for pace, he's quite happy to actually stop dead yep. and just play a very deliberate but very firm pass. And he and he's very economical, I would say. If you compare if you compare Kyogo's technique for receiving the ball and giving the ball to Starfelt in terms of motor skills, it's quite it's quite the contrast. One is just an economy of effort and minimal body movement. The other one is like a, it's like a, it's like a piece of um, theater, to, mm-hmm. you know, of drama to be able to move the ball forward. So uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think it was um, it was Starfield at the start of the season that I said it just looks like he's processing every bit of movement that he's trying to do yeah, before he yeah. does it, yeah, and yeah. it must it it surely must be down to rustiness or either that he's just not very good on the ball and in which case it's going to cause some issues. It's a new, it's yeah. a new system too. I mean, that that's, yeah. the, he, he may not be used to having um, fullbacks inverted and uh, you know, so it's, it's uh, the idea of him learning a new system in a new role and having to scale up from maybe doing 30 passes a game to 95 passes a game. You know, since I always talk about this concept of scaling, you know what I mean? It's like if you're good at something 30 times, that doesn't mean you're going to be good at it if your volume picks up a ton mm. um, and the complexity of your actions go up. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to do a piece on him and I'll not, I'll not do I'll just a little bit of a spoiler. 
Um, because I watched him very closely, and actually, and everyone after the game, the, the general consensus was that Starfield had a good game and get off his back, which I like because I'd said exactly that after three games, uh, and he actually won twelve duels, and um, which is second only to Ralston, who Ralston's defensive performance was excellent, um, but he lost seven, and and his problem broadly is is he gets is he's basically, and I hate to say this, it's duff it's duffyitis, two things. He gets too close to his man, and he tries too hard to win balls he can't win, and 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 it happened. It didn't, didn't just happen a couple of times. And actually, the goal came from a free kick that he conceded in a central position, which yep. was then played into the box. Hart knocked out for a corner, and he scored from it. And and other tackled, danger- I think he tackled Roof. Right, that was the one he tackled. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going to do a piece on this because um, this is a coaching thing. This is a technique thing. It's a technical thing that I think he's got real issues with. And now it might be driven by confidence. It might be driven by the Duffy factor of, oh my God, you know, I feel under pressure. I'm, 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 I'm going to try too hard to make up for for any perceived errors. It might be that, and, and therefore it may be salvageable. But I'm concerned he's fundamentally got some really bad technique. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Before we move on to the squad, then anything else from this game that you guys want to point out or find interesting? I think I think. Um, a couple of things I'd like to point out. Well, th- maybe three things. So, Juranovic, let's, let's mention him, right? The guy's chucked on the pitch to play left back, never played for Celtic before. <laughs> I mean, he Welcome looked- to Celtic. Welcome yeah. To Celtic. yeah well, I I, real quick, Al, I'll sorry, just throw within this context yeah, yeah. because, yeah. because I, I shared this and it's just, you know, it's crazy. People say, well, he's played there before. I actually looked it up. Uh, so he's 25 or 26. I forget. I have it written down here somewhere, 26, but yeah. 26. Yeah. So he just turned 26. That's actually what it is. His birthday was in August. Um, so I, you know, going back six seasons, pretty much his senior career. So I have most of his data from his senior career. So it's like 17,500 minutes. He's played like before yesterday, uh, Sunday, which was, I think 97 minutes or 94. Um, he, he had played like 508 on the left side. Like, so, you know, um, so he's played there. Sure. Yeah. But, um, to be thrown into those circumstances uh, like that was pretty, pretty remarkable. It's it like was. when, uh, it's like when a job is advertised and it says high paced work, work environment. And you just know that means you're doing way too much fucking work for the job that's involved. <laughs> or the pay that, that's what, that's what, you're, that's what yeah. you're out of got into. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but listen, so listen, uh, you know, I don't like, you know, I don't generally make snap judgments on players. I usually give it the old 900 rule, but I, I, I was kind of quietly impressed with this guy. He looks like a footballer. Uh, things I look for immediately um, on any player that I see are uh, first touch and balance and, and, and basic athleticism. And he had all three of those. So I'm really encouraged by just the, the fact that he's got the, the, what I call the basics and the fundamentals uh, and what to me are predictors of who's going to be a good player or not. Those are the basic foundation levels for me. Yeah, he actually I, ended, sorry. No, I was going to say yeah. calm on the ball too. Yeah, I mean, calm. He, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, his temperament in the game, considering the, considering the environment, you know, getting, you know, paper balls thrown at him. <laughs> <laughs> Poor dear. Um, he actually he actually ended up with the best, the highest defensive um, action success rate, seventy seven percent. That was the best in the whole team, which for a fullback is unusual. Seventy seven percent is high for a fullback. It's usually around just over fifty. Um, you know, he had uh, fifteen recoveries, which was only bettered by the two centre backs. He c- completed more passes than anyone else, ninety two. He um, won possession back six times. He actually was the most involved player in the in the team in terms of overall touches. Um, he had the highest packing stats of, of, of anyone in the team, uh, 18 pack passes, uh, 
was less than Starfelt, but Starfelt's were all really just breaking that initial press, such as it was. He, uh, Juranovic packing score was 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 the higher. Um, obviously, not a huge amount in the in the final third, but he also had after after um, Kyogo, he had the second highest pack receiving stats. That's him being on the end of forward passes, which again for a fullback is quite something. So you add all that together, it was a, a tremendously. Um, you know, tremendous performance, really, if you think about it. And if you actually get, and also the other thing was, unlike Ralston, who's clearly not happy inverting, like he doesn't do it very often. Taylor, bless him, I don't think he's got the tools necessarily for it, but my goodness, he tries to do it. Jovanovic, um, he was straight, he was straight in there on quite a few occasions because of his red boots. A number of times he got the ball. Like, oh, Christie's got the ball. No, it's not Christie. Oh, it's a bad. No, it's not a bad. Oh, it's Jovanovic again. He's on the ball again. He just kind of kept kept popping up and, and getting on the ball. So that, that I think that I thought I think that was really hugely encouraging. And he looks like a proper footballer. Um, the other thing to say is midfield. Um, whereas McGregor really did very little in an attacking sense. He actually had uh, he won eight challenges, lost three. His his again his defensive action success rate seventy three percent. Brown very rarely hit seventy three percent. So for him to do that in a derby, McGregor in that sixth position was quite something. But again, very little going forward. And then the, the, then the other two, you know, Christie. You know, I I watched the game throwing pelters at Starfield and Christie. I'll be honest with you. Because Christie gave the ball away in the final third for nothing on about six occasions, more than any other player. He had the ball in good positions and then he just lost it with this, just with carelessness. But at least he made up for it. He had one of his Leipzig type games off the ball, which maybe I didn't notice at the time. Maybe not many people did. He was involved in 16 challenges, only Starfelt was involved in more. Um, so at least, although he created very little Christie and, and he did have uh, one key pass at least one secondary assist uh, and one shot off target. He did at least do the dirty stuff. Whereas with Turnbull, you were like um, seven and one, uh, one, or one and seven, sorry, and challenges one and lost. He created, he only had 30 passes compared to 35 for Christie. He didn't create a single chance. He didn't provide a single secondary assist. He only provided eight pack passes and he only had, and he had, and he had a, a one shot on target, which was his ludicrous decision to shoot from that free kick which went to McCrory, they went up the pitch, they won their free kick and they scored their goal. So Turnbull was just, Turnbull was the one I should have been tearing the rest of my hair out of, not not, not Christie, because at least Christie did the dirty stuff. Yeah, and the only thing I'll add is, um, and this goes back to uh, just match up, and, and one of the reasons I think we've struggled so much in this uh, game in, in midfield uh, is um, Kamara and Aribo, they're pressing related stats that I have access to at stats bomb are um, elite for the league. I mean, they're, they're just, they're just really good playing the system and they've got that athleticism and that physical physicality. Um, and that, that's why I've been critical of us not being able to get the ball central is because I think the underbelly of that has a lot more um, risk, meaning that, we saw that with uh, Christie blowing past Davis a couple of times. Uh, you know, Davis is an older midfielder now. He's 36. He's not as quick. Um, I've documented that on Twitter where his rate of decline in Europe in particular has accelerated. Um, and we just don't get to that underbelly between uh, him and the two center backs who, you know, they're good players, but they're not fast. Uh, so that little triangle of, you know, in this game, Helander, Goldson, and Davis – we just didn't put it under pressure until Kyogo went in there. 
and then there was a little bit of pressure and we saw the, the chances that were created. And, um, you know, so that we, we, we've got to figure that puzzle out, whether it's Kyogo and us stretching them and him, him doing those off the shoulder runs, uh, which I think will probably be part of the game next time. Um, but there again, I suspect what they're going to do is get even more extreme and compressing because they're going to know that. And, and um, so they're, they're not going to want to come out of that shape mm. and and you know they this was a relatively extreme leaving their three up front to just kind of do their own thing i mean when they got out on the front foot and attacking it was basically three guys mm. i mean uh camara and arebo were coming forward a little bit but arebo's usually really aggressive and getting forward and he was noticeably more reserved i thought the, the, um james did uh, i used to build up build on that but under those two camara and arebo must do a ton of work because if you look at that uh, front, it's amazing if you look at the front three Morelos can barely run. I mean, I'm sure I'm, I would beat him in a sprint, right? Um, <laughs> roof, roof, roof works hard, but he's not quick. And yeah. Kent switches off and goes to sleep. People run off him quite easily, and they didn't do. And then actually, they didn't do a lot of pressing. Celtic's packing score in this game was insane, but it was mainly playing out yeah. through the through, through, through that front three and wide. So Arebo and Kamara must do a ton of work. They do. It's, it, it, yeah, yeah. And they're really good at it. And yeah. um, the other part of that is, you know, so this would kind of be my, my other takeaway. So they, they basically dictated the type of game that was played, which again, it was at Ibrox. That's not the end of the world. Um, none of this is the end of the world. Uh, no. Both teams are going to be completely different as we go into the next game in, uh, I don't even remember if it's early January or right at the end of December, I forget. Um, but around the, in the holiday game, um, it's going to be at Celtic Park. So I, I, I don't think there's a whole lot we can take away from this other than um, my one slight negative was that Ange did make some mistakes here, I think. Mm. And he, you know, I don't think that's controversial to say because he admitted one of them. <laughs> um, so, you know, when, when you get kind of pressured to make decisions. I mean, he had a, he had choices to make because of limitations on squad uh, because of Forrest being out in particular. And I get why he did what he did. I probably would have made the same decision as far as preferring Christie. Cause I, you know, if Rogic is in that midfield, I think that even if Kyogo was through the middle, if the decision was Christie left Kyogo in the middle and Rogic in with Turnbull, I mean, that could have been a, a train wreck. We might have lost four two. Let's say yeah. uh, it could have been a totally different kind of game that would have mm. been more on our terms, back and forth. Maybe maybe we suck them out, but our midfield probably would have been a train wreck uh, in transition then. And uh, so there, it was kind of pick your battle here, and that's why I was curious to see if we, he came out of his comfort zone a little bit. Like I talked about, would he go with maybe four man midfield with Rogic at the ten um, and drop Abada? Um, you know, go with two strikers, have, you know, Edward play off of Kyogo, that kind of thing, which would have been, you know, that would have been a departure from what he's done so far. No question. So I didn't think he was going to do that, but you know, he, he kind of picked the worst option. Uh, I think in, in when he was limited. And so hopefully he learns from it. Um, this is his first time encountering this specific system with these specific players it might be, like I said, it might be different though, because they're probably not going to play Balogun again at right back. Um, 
Yeah, so. I think I think the Azed game in midweek probably would have played into his thinking as well with how much they tore us to shreds down the middle with Rogic playing there. So I think I think that would have played into it, especially the impact that Edouard had on the game when he came on as well. So, I mean, look, we said going in, going into the game, it was almost like a free hit because it was a special occasion. It wasn't going to impact the season overall. So it's disappointing to lose it, but we will move on from it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Huddle Breakdown here in Breakdown Inc. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment below or you can subscribe to the channel. Get notified every time a podcast goes live or you can find us on iTunes and on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts as well. I do want to touch on, finally, before we finish up, the the squad and the final squad that we have now that the transfer window has closed. So overall, 12 transfers in total coming into the squad. Ozaz Urakide coming in, Liam Shaw, Lil Abada, Kyogo, Kar Starfelt, Joe Hart, James McCarthy, Josia Juranovic, Liam Scales, Georges Giacomakis, Jota coming in from Benfica, and Cameron Carter-Vickers uh, surprise signing in uh, the final few hours of the transfer window last night. Leaving the club, leaving out some of the players that, you know, Okoflex, that, you know, the players that aren't really impacting on the on the squad, the players that have left the club that will impact the, the squad is Odson Edward, who's going to Crystal Palace, Christopher Iyer, who has left to Brentford already, Ryan Christie, who goes to Bournemouth, Interesting move for Ryan Christie. Uh, Scott Brown has moved to Aberdeen already. Lee Griffiths has gone to Dundee on loan. And Olivia Cham has left the club. I don't know if his club has actually been confirmed yet. I know he's linked with Swansea. Swansea. It is Swansea, yeah. He was linked with Swansea. I wasn't sure if it had actually gone through. So overall, it's a massive overhaul of the the squad. 
and it leaves us quite thin in several positions. Look, I, I said it already in a video on this channel, 12 signings is a massive amount of people to come into the, the team. And I don't know how many more you're going to get in one transfer window. Like you can make the debate around some of them should have been in being being in before the Champions League game, but 12 transfer transfers in is a lot of people, a lot of bodies coming into the squad. I do want to focus on one position in particular, and that's midfield, because now that Christie's gone, the impact that that makes as well as the Levy and Cham on the overall midfield is actually quite stark because you're left with a midfield of James McCarthy, Callum McGregor, Ismail Asaro, potentially near Beaton, potentially, but in the past he, has, he hasn't played there in a couple of years, so probably not. Uh, David Turnbull and um, Tom Rogic. Your starting midfield is Callum McGregor, Tom Rogic, and uh, David Turnbull. What happens if one of those get injured? And mainly I want to focus on Cal McGregor. Let's say Cal McGregor is not injured. Let's say David Turnbull is fit. What do we do with Cal Mac? So um, before I answer that specifically, I want to step back and provide kind of a 30,000 foot context here. So we went into this... um, with this huge overhaul in squad with no technical director, no director of football, no head scout, uh, no head of recruitment and a manager who I'm a huge fan of and, and was an early fan of, but who does not have a track record of building teams. Right. So he's, he's, you know, not, not at this level in particular and not in this market. So, uh, you know, he's clearly a smart guy. He's clearly a really good football man, so to speak. Um, But that's not a mix for, as I've called it, an architecture project. Um, So, you know, the the, the resources available here and, um, you know, I I think we kind of got what you can expect given that context. Uh, and, and it's a lot of, you know, I go back to my Jenga tower. You're going to hear that every episode now, uh, uh, Enda, is we, we don't have an optimized team relative to the way he plays. And I don't want to get in, into red herrings about who's an Ange signing or who's not. All of that to me is irrelevant. It's a red herring. Um, I, I think everyone probably did their best. You know, they did their best to give the best options to Ange and Ange did his best at helping to pick which ones would be the best options in his mind. Um, All I can do is analyze what we have and the result. And I don't think it's anywhere near optimized. To your point, Enda, the midfield is very thin. Uh, We have over coverage in the defensive midfield role. And we basically have three guys there that can play that position. And I would argue we don't have an eight. Agreed. Agreed. We do not have one. <laughs> and, yet, and, yet, and yet we have two two positions to fill in this system. Exactly. So I, I don't know if this is going to push Ange to go to a 4-2-3-1, which I don't like because that means, you know, McGregor's back to being where we don't like it, McGregor being, which is, you know, if you're going to play McGregor in, in that holding role, just make him the holding midfielder. <laughs> Um, and and surround him with an athletic couple of eights that can defend and and basically allow him to orchestrate like he he's clearly shown that he's 
uh, capable of doing. So I, I just don't, I don't like the mix in the midfield. I, I think it's not um, coherent relative to Ange ball. And the depth part is a huge risk, meaning that that's the one thing when you talk about, you know, Rangers Jenga tower is I don't see a single midfielder that they would lose where their tower is going to fall down. Hmm. And if we lose Callum McGregor for any length of time, I think we're in big trouble. We see that's where I find this an incredibly interesting discussion point is that I would argue that an injury to Turnbull or Rogic is far more uh, destructive to the midfield that Celtic are trying to put together than Cal McGregor getting injured. Because at least if Cal McGregor gets injured, you're putting in a Sorrow or a McCarthy or you, the replacements are there for the, the number six role. But if you take Turnbull or Rogic out of that side, then where who comes in? Do you push Cal Mac into the, the number eight position? Or do you push him further forward? Who comes in then? Yeah, and I, I, what, what are you missing then? If we're going to be dominating the games, yeah. the two so players that we're going to rely on are the two attacking midfielders. I think it's conditional, meaning that against, um, you know, St. Mirren at home, uh, I think losing McGregor in that six role is the bigger loss um, because we've seen what that does already. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it's... And and we've documented the track record of that even preceding this season, how destructive that is to the opposition and has been, um, you know, against Rangers. If we played McCarthy uh, in in that role, is, is that ideal? In my opinion, probably not. But I actually think McCarthy slowing down buildup at home versus St. Mirren on the margin might cause a bigger problem than him playing against uh, Rangers at Ibrooks, for example, in, in that role. Um, so I, I think the other part of that is that because McGregor is flexible, uh, and this is a concept in other sports, I, I know Alan loves my, my other sport now, so I won't, I won't get into it too much, but um, somebody like Beton, who can be functional across positions, or somebody like McGregor who can be functional across positions or Christie who's functional across positions. There's an inherent value to that, that, that is probably under, um, underappreciated by a lot of people. Uh, and I think McGregor's ability to function as an eight or a six, or even theoretically as a 10, um, there's a lot of value to that. So I, I think generally he would be the one that would be an absolute disaster to lose. I take your point, Enda. I mean, we're so thin. If any of them go down, yeah, it's, it's... you know, the, the idea that we're going to end up with Liam Shaw is a guy who's going to have to pick up a lot of minutes, which again, I, he's a young guy, but you know, he just doesn't seem to be quite ready yet. And he's only 21. So hopefully he comes on and it turns out to be a good signing. But, um, you know, again, this go back to depth. Rangers have basically two guys and this is beyond any of their you know they have a couple really young guys that uh, i'm not even accounting for but they basically have six midfielders if jack comes back yeah where if any of them goes down not only do they have coverage they have like another two or three guys that can plug in or they could move haji back or you know what i mean so that the they just don't have the risk factor that we do with even Kyogo going down. I mean, we basically now have a two-headed monster, so to speak, where if either of those two guys go down for any length of time, I mean, it's really, really going to be dicey. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I will use your Jenga analysis, uh, or analogy rather, and say 
we're only at the building stage. We we haven't started actually playing the game with with the squad yet. So we're currently building our tower. Alan, your general thoughts on the midfield on the Cal McGregor conversation? Yeah, it's 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 absolutely terrifying when I actually sat down and thought about it because <laughs> we we literally don't have a true number eight at all, and yet we were going to play two number eights in this current <laughs> system. So that uh, the the best, the absolute best, I think we're going to be able to do against tougher opposition is have a have a McCarthy McGregor Turnbull. That is probably the best we can do. For for games against bottom six SPFL teams, McGregor, Rogic, Turnbull, I'm sure will be absolutely fine. After that, you, who are you actually going to play? I I don't believe I I I think there are f- at least four players who, if you looked at Celtic squad, our first team wages that, to my mind, will not play. Right. So Barkas, Bolingoli, Biton, Ayeti. I think have been looked at. Postacoglu doesn't trust them. He won't play them. They didn't play when we were one nil down on Sunday. They didn't play when we were two one down in Altmar. He would he would rather have brought on Montgomery. Okay, they, they, forget them. Right, they're not going to play. So you're, what you're left with is sorrow sorrow who I don't know that he's convinced about. But he trusts him enough to put him on the pitch, and actually, I think Sorrow could do a number eight job uh, reasonably effectively. And then you're into three, probably three players that we've got left that haven't been loaned out, which is Liam Henderson, who doesn't seem to. I've never seen him play central midfield for Celtic. He's always played an attacking wide position. I think they're concerned about his physicality. Luke O'Connell. Who has never played a minute under Postacoglu, and Kerr McEnroy, who, bless him, I'm, I'm not sure is ever going to make it at Celtic. And literally, that is it. Okay. That, uh, can I add, I add one, Alan. Problem. Yeah. I'll add one because I, I had I had the exact same thought, and and um, the 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 only wild card that I can think of, and I had to write it down, is the uh, Law Lawwell guy that we got from Watford. He's playing you know, in the lowland leagues at 18, he just turned 18 in May. I only mentioned him because theoretically he could be somebody in the mix. So, so but again, yeah, it, it would be desperate. If I, I mean, if I, if I, if I, if I go back to who realistically have we got available, if you accept that the four players I mentioned, although they're first team players and although they're on big wages, they're just not going to be trusted to play. Yep. I, I've deliberately excluded the two Sheffield Wednesday boys, Shaw and Urugidi, because I believe from what I've heard, that they're not considered ready for the first team. Okay, right. and actually, and actually, the lad Lowell, and the, and even Dane Murray, who played in Michelin against Michelin, would would be ahead, which is why the why we had to sign Carter Vickers because at the moment it's Starfelt and Welsh, and below that you're back to Dane Murray. He's 18. Okay, so that is another massive issue. So uh, this this is this is a real real problem. Central midfield is an absolute, and 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 it's not it's not the only place we've got risks at the moment. On the left hand side, with Taylor and Johnston injured, your left hand side is Scales, who I've I've never even seen in my life, and 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 you know has the physique of a centre half, Yotta and Montgomery. That is the left side. That is the complete left side of Celtic at this point in time. 
we've now got potentially got two strikers because again a yeti i don't believe a yeti will play any meaningful minutes and on the right we've got abada juranovic and ralston and that's it because Dembele's injured and Forrest's injured. I reckon at most we've got 19 seasoned professionals this time. It, it's, it's, and, and, and listen, this was an absolute triumph of asset management, this window. I, I reckon, I, I, you know, listen, I know that transfer fees, in reality, they're paid in three tranches. I know they're amortized over the course of a contract. I know that there's agents' fees and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, all things being equal, looking at what's been brought in, what's what's come out, high level numbers. We've brought, we've we've brought, we've spent around twenty million. We've brought in around forty. In this mm-hmm. current situation, that's remarkable. And to get money for the likes of Bio, Schwed, Hendry was, was a quite an achievement. To get big money for Edouard and Ayer in this market was was a massive achievement. So big take on the asset management side. Hooray for the balance sheet, right? But in terms of, and, 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 and I don't know if we could realistically have done more business given the huge turnover that there has been, but there is enormous risk as we go through um, the, the next three months. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wrote a piece on this for Celtic Way last week um, on risk because, uh, you know, if, if there's probably one differentiator that I have um relative to uh, analyzing things is, is how much I've done on risk in my career. And um, so not, not only are we talking about this risk, which is thinness on the squad, the lack of depth and quality depth, but you've got a, uh, a style of play of the manager who's going to add a layer of risk on top of that. So you not only have a, a thin squad in some areas, you've got a style of play that's going to, already stress a deep squad and now we're going to compound that by having a thin squad and then not only is a style of play aggressive the volatility of his style of play is going to be pretty significant right so there's going to be um some risk that just comes inherent with that and that's that's statistical i'm not going to get into that then you layer on top of that uh, the architecture risks that we've talked about, which is some of these puzzle pieces don't stick together. And I wrote a piece about this this week is, you know, teams are going to bombard us aerially now. Uh, I mean, it, it you'd have to be a, a, a blind man not to see <laughs> uh, the vulnerabilities that we have in, um, in, in the aerial game and the spacing that's going on with heart and, and playing a high defensive line. Uh, so we already started to see that with Alkmaar Rangers did it a ton. Um, and you know, you're going to run into teams that aren't well run like Dundee. that are going to try and play through us instead of just going long. But for the most part, there's come reasonably well-run clubs in Scotland. that are going to probably just bombard us and they have bigger people and they're going to try and win second balls. And, you know, um, and because of the variance and the volatility of how we play that kind of thing, there's going to be some games where we just get bad luck. And there's a cluster of a couple of those shots that Kent took from outside the 18, one hit the post. Well, maybe that one goes in against uh, Dundee United on the road, you know, those kind of things. And, and um, so when you layer all these different risks on top of each other, you know, injury risk, mm-hmm. style of play risk, now we have a very definitive way to attack Ange Ball 
uh, that may not win, you know, they may not prevent a team from getting crushed 6-0 one game, but the next game they might nick a draw just because they get lucky in the game. Um, so, you know, you pile all those up and I'm very nervous in that regard. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, latent risk that's, that's probably underappreciated. Yeah. Well, we were told by the guys who knew Ange Ball that it was either going to be it was going to be a fun season either way. It was either going to be a disaster or it was going to be a, a really good season. So I, th- I think it will be a a very interesting one to say the least. This I, I, was, I did this work. I'm sorry, Enda. I'm, I did this work because so I have to share it. Right. So uh, you know, I've been highly critical of of uh, the senior management of the team of the club. So in this is what three three summers ago so this is not that long ago uh i put up a you know because again we have to benchmark our team now and think about you know how is it we had this really tough window right this was to alan's point i mean this was a very difficult window to try and get all these players in and out in one of if not the most illiquid transfer markets in in history so i mean you saw what saint johnston got for kerr and 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 McCann, mm-hmm. um, you know, there a lot of their supporters are understandably quite upset about it <laughs> because it was a lot lower than they thought. Prices really came down, um, and so just three seasons ago, we could have had a starting eleven if if we if we would have been managed um, a little better of Edward and Dembele up top, Tierney on the left. This is a, the three five two system that we actually went into that summer starting with before the disaster hit with China and Rogers uh, Castagna on the right wing, uh, right wing back a midfield of McGregor McGinn and in Cham and a back three of Iyer, Boyata and Benkovic with Gordon and goal. Right. So think about the level of those players, their, their relative age profile, what a lot of those guys ended up going for where they're playing now, a lot of them in top five leagues. Um, and then compare that to where our team is right now. And it's miles apart. I mean, it just is. And that was done uh, through decisions that we've made, overall asset management, um, the trans- the various transfer windows and the managerial hires, the lack of any real football structure, modern football structure in place. And, and you know, it's only taken three years to have that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that to me is a legit Champions League level team that could qualify for Champions League routinely and compete in the group stages of the Champions League. Probably not get too far, but not be an embarrassment in the Champions League level. Um, and now we're worried about playing Leverkusen and Real Betis next month or you know this month, and hopefully we don't get absolutely annihilated. Yeah, well. Hopefully we don't get absolutely annihilated and we will bring you the breakdowns of those games over the next couple of weeks. But to get them, you will have to subscribe to the channel below and subscribe to the Huddle Breakdown on Twitter as well at the Huddle Breakdown. We don't have a game to analyze next week, so we might do readers or listeners questions. Uh, so if you, do, if you do have something that we want to, you want to put to us or want us to talk about, do send them in and leave, the, leave a comment below and uh, send us to them on, on Twitter as well at Huddle Breakdown. Uh, Alan, James, thanks very much. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Thanks, Andrew. All right. We'll chat to you next week. Good luck.